legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Christian Morris, who joins us to discuss the current climate of censorship and conformity and the rise of totalitarianism in the West. Use of the word totalitarian to describe any of the political, social and economic developments in so-called free nations during the coronavirus crisis is likely to be met with stiff resistance or outright denial from the mainstream media and the masses alike. However, considering the fact that totalitarian regimes typically demonstrate political repression, personality cultism, large-scale censorship and mass surveillance, limited freedom of movement, attempts to control the economy and education, and even the arts and science, suddenly the T-word doesn't seem quite so extreme when plotting possible futures for our own societies. Now that the Covid narrative has transitioned seamlessly into that of the television war du jour in the Ukraine, the question remains of just what it will take to snap the citizenry out of their trance, or whether they have already surrendered their senses to the media matrix possessing their minds and increasingly penetrating their bodies. Hello and welcome, Christian. Thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Thank you. Now, you've been on, we've been on together in various formats quite a few times. Uh, you, this, I think this is your third Legalize Freedom interview. Uh, for people who don't know, just say a word about uh, who you are and what you do. I'm just an ordinary guy who lives in North Dublin out by the sea. i 48. I live with my mother and father. Uh, I'm now becoming, moving kind of into becoming a content creator on Odyssey. I got off YouTube because it just censor everything. I'm always in Facebook jail. I'm in Facebook jail at the moment. But I mean, I don't, you know, I wouldn't consider myself a professional in any of these things. But I think what's happening with a lot of people is that we're looking at what's going on and we're saying, what the fuck? What's going on here? And, it, you know, the tyranny is to stay quiet and you're tyrannized when you're not speaking out about it. Also, I am an anti-masker, so I haven't worn a mask except when I was forced to for five minutes last week in a hospital. Um, for a year and a half, I refused completely to wear a mask. So, I, you know, I have a strong position in that particular regard, but certainly I'm not a professional. OK, so our starting point today was simply the word totalitarianism. Uh, the idea so uh, obviously that's something that um, has been bandied around uh, in terms of uh, you know op oppressive uh, political and social control during the last couple of years of the pandemic uh, this seems to be continuing apace with now the new war du jour the Ukraine mm -hmm. so where should we start on this really because uh, I think a lot of people they hear the word totalitarianism and they, they're just kind of very resistant to it and just oh yeah either it's something from the past or it's something it's it's North Korea or something like that but generally speaking it's not a thing but whether you use totalitarianism or the sort of totalitarianism light of authoritarianism 
the, there seems to be ever more repressive control happening in, well, in the country that you live in, the one I live in, and in lots of others considered to be until fairly recently free societies. I saw an interesting uh, article today floating across my news feed. I can't remember who reported this with some media organization. And they concluded that Belgium, during the pandemic, Belgium was the only country in Europe that infringed on democratic rights. And I thought, uh, OK, where did where did you get that idea? Where did you get that from? Um, you see, that is that's an interesting starting point, really, because how do you define democratic rights? How do you define well, who defines these things? And they're always defined by the establishment. So, uh, for example, if you look at the freedom index of countries, Ireland is listed as a very high country in terms of freedom. Oh, great. Ireland is one of the freest societies in the world. Grant, let's look a little bit closer and see who's actually making this assessment and what their criteria criteria are. And part of their criteria to assess Ireland as a free society is that we give rights to transgender people. So then we have a problem because what we're seeing with the transgender lobby here in Ireland is that they their definition of rights is taking rights away from others. So, you know, in a free society, your rights end where another person's rights start. That's the definition of a free society. But, but no, this particular lobby, the transgender lobby, particularly here in Ireland, Ireland. They're a very vicious lobby here, a very dangerous lobby here. And they, particularly with the 2015 Gender Recognition Act, have been given legal status and legal standing basically to, to do what they want. That sounds like an exaggeration. In fact, it's not because the law is so loosely drafted that it gives them enormous power. So, for example, recently Girl Guiding Ireland issued a manifesto and issued a policy plan regarding child protection and regarding going camping, which said that transgender children shall have priority over all others. And this, of course, was drafted by Transgender Equality Network Ireland, who are a very, very militant and vicious and well-connected and well-subsidised NGO who've been lobbying this particularly militant transgender agenda uh, for a very long time. But particularly, you know, they, they got the 2015 Gender Recognition Act shoved in. And uh, then they got the marriage referendum as well. And they got John Waters talks very eloquently in detail about about that. So, you know, suddenly we find ourselves in this situation where these bullies and loudmouths and perverts are telling us what we can say, what we can't say, what we can think, what we can't think and what our boundaries are going to be. It's not going to last. Totalitarianism never lasts. It always eats itself. But at the moment, it hasn't just yet. And that that's what we're dealing with. So at the moment, and I mean today, you know, it's now 14, 15 hours on the 10th of March 2022. And this country has gone completely psychotic regarding Ukraine. And I use the word psychotic without an exaggeration. And um, what we're seeing is, for example, the, the road on which the Russian embassy to the Republic of Ireland is based is called very fittingly Orwell Road in Dublin. And they, you know, there's now on, on News Talk, which is an established news radio station, a proposal to call it Independent Ukraine Road. This is this is psychotic. This is batshit crazy. And I'm not even commenting at the moment about the actual what's going on in Ukraine. But it is this is it, 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 I've never seen anything like this in 48 years. Have I seen this level of collective nonsensical hysteria? You have to keep laughing. And when we laugh, 
that's how we defeat them. We, you know, we do our satire, we do our animations, we do all of those kind of things, we do memes. That's the only way to actually puncture them because it is bizarre and ridiculous. It's absurd. It's a clown show, as it's called, you know? What you were speaking about there a few moments ago um, is what was uh, euphemistically described as positive discrimination. Yeah, um, affirmative action. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. I think it was positive discrimination before that, but then they realized that they still had the word discrimination in there. And we're not supposed to discriminate under any circumstances, even though like a lot of words is good and bad uses. You So someone has very discriminating tastes, you know, when it comes to yeah. wine. Well, that's seen as a good thing, isn't it? But. <laughs> When you want to abuse people, and George Orwell, I think of all the popular writers, all the writers out in the general popular sphere, the one who, who dealt with totalitarianism the best and most exhaustively was George Orwell. And he said, when you want to abuse people, the first thing you abuse is language. That's absolutely right. And I think another thing Orwell said was that tyranny hides in vague language. That's right as well. So if you look, for example, at what I referred to, the 2015 Gender Recognition Act, it's vague. I believe it's deliberately vague. And when you have vagueness in and ambiguity in statute, that ambiguity is always exploited to give more power to those in authority. So uh, there's a lot of legislation in this country. You know, we haven't had any legislation in the Republic of Ireland for at least the past 15 years, which has done anything to improve the individual civil liberties of citizens. It's all been repressive. It's all been authoritarian. And OK, that's we're talking in the dry terms of statute there. But then that manifests itself in a day-to-day basis with totalitarian behaviour. For me, a definition of totalitarianism is that it affects your everyday living. So totalitarianism, it's its a big word. It can scare people off, you know. But what it is, I maybe a better term would be cultishness if we wanted to sell it to, you know, to ordinary normies who, who are concerned about what's going on. And a lot of them are. Uh, but the the key feature of totalitarianism is that it must affect everyday living and it must affect a large quotient of people. And for me, the, the classic example of that was the mask mandate that was brought in in Ireland in 2020. That is pure totalitarianism, red in tooth and claw, because in order to go and buy your pint of milk or your loaf of bread, you have to put on a mask for fear of being prosecuted or going, getting the guard that he called, or going, you know, going to jail. And one of the features of totalitarianism also is a fear of the police. Oh, he's going to call the guards. Call the guards. And when you begin to look closer at it, then totalitarianism requires fear and it requires peer pressure and it requires everyday intrusion upon people's lives. And that intrusion, of course, one of the most potent examples was the masks. Yeah, you could have, in some ways, have characterised Iraq under Saddam Hussein or Libya under Colonel Gaddafi as authoritarian, for sure. Um, because the difference with that and totalitarianism is that authoritarian leaders are interested in political power, and as long as that's not contested, as long as no one goes against them on that sphere, then the populace is allowed some degree of, of freedom. And um, you know, both uh, Gaddafi and Hussein were very interested in building up their countries materially. Um, you know, there was more women than ever going to university in Iraq when Saddam Hussein was in charge, uh, more than ever qualifying in professions, you know, legal professions, medical professions and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is not excusing what was going on. But it's just saying that they weren't interested in changing people and changing the world. They just wanted control over what was there to their That's own aggra- aggrandizement for sure. You know, whereas the totalitarian 
totalitarian regime is looking uh, to control virtually all aspects of social life, the economy, education, even arts and science, you know, what oh, yes. these things are yeah. and what they mean, and the, and the private lives of people as well, you know, the whole uh, lives of others. I don't know if you've seen that movie about East Berlin during, um, or East Germany is in totality under the, uh, under the uh, pre, uh, you know, before the, the wall came down and whatnot. So, yeah, there's a, there's a big difference there. Oh, there is. It's an enormous difference. Um, I would rather live in a country controlled by thugs and bandits who have a strong arm on, you know, law and order and how they're going to run the thing. But they'd be happy to let you have your own opinions and do your own thing so long as you don't step in their toes. I'd much rather have that kind of honest brutality of an authoritarian regime where they say, look, buddy, you don't have to like us. It's okay." you know, uh, just do as you're told and, you know, um, we'll stay out of your life if you don't step on our toes. I could find that more intellectually honest than what we have in Ireland today, in which the whole thing is based on woke consensus. Owen Harris is a journalist until he got fucked off the Sunday Independent last year for running sock puppet tweet accounts. But Owen Harris talked about the tyranny of consensus. And this is what, I mean, we have that more, I think, than any other English-speaking country, even places like New Zealand, we have a tyranny of consensus here. Now then, of course, the, the the bright side of it is that when you just turn and say, no, fuck you, to their tyranny of consensus, they all go, oh, you're very rude. And what about civic duty? Well, what about civic duty? Fuck you and your civic duty. Fuck you and civic duty. And once you turn around and have that attitude in your head, then they vanish like vampires at dawn. And this is what I've seen repeatedly. I mean, one absolute psychotic psychopath called the guy, the only for not wearing a mask in the supermarket, the guard, came down. The manager said, Mr. Morris has permission not to wear a mask. And somebody else asked me recently, how have you got away with not wearing a mask for a year and a half? I said, by asking permission. What do you mean by that? I said, what do you think by asking permission means, you dipstick? It seems fairly clear to me by asking permission. And totalitarianism relies on a number of combined things. It relies on fear, but it also relies on low self-esteem. So do you have the self-esteem to say, to send an email to the shops and say, I would like your permission to not wear a face covering? How many people will do that? How many of them, how many of these normies will actually just write by email to their local shops and say, I wish to have, to attend your premises without a face mask, is that okay? And every shop I went into, I just say, if I hadn't got permission prior, then I'd say to the security guard or to a duty manager, do you mind if I come in without a face mask? They always said, no, that's all right, we don't mind. You know, the chain stores like Lidl, and Aldi, they were all totally cool about Tesco. They were cool about it. They just said, no, nah. I, mean, I mean, on many instances, the managers would say, you know, we don't approach people who aren't wearing a mask. Oh, thank you, I'd say. So manners get you, you know, manners cost nothing, but they pay back an awful lot. And just by not being confrontational with them and saying, do you mind if I come in without a face covering? They always said, yeah, it's grand. Yeah, we don't mind. And it was only my own local supermarket. Now, the management were similar, were identical in that regard. They said, no, that's fine. You can come in without a mask. Thank you for consulting us. But it was the shoppers in my own local supermarket who were utterly seven bells fucking nuts about me not wearing a mask because I'm known locally. And there was terrible. You see, it's the low self-esteem again. They look at me and they say, well, why is he getting away without wearing a mask? Because he has the balls to ask. That's all. And you don't have the balls to ask because you're a fucking normie. That's why. And you don't have the curry. You're spineless. And you don't want to be seen without wearing a mask in a local supermarket because you're a fucking chicken shit. That's the answer. 
and it makes them hate themselves all the more. So this divisiveness between ordinary citizens going about buying their bread is another feature of totalitarianism, dividing, dividing people, pitting ordinary citizens against one another is a key component of totalitarianism. Well, the, the local people in the local shops were freaking out about you, largely because they were told to, um, not you specifically, obviously, but, you know, that's they've been told what to, to what to think, what to feel and how to react to things, you know, particularly that's in the part, last... That's part of it, but... I oh, remember, yes, it's within them as well. Yeah, it is stoking something that's already there, for sure. It, it is, because I remember once or twice, it would usually be elderly women, they'd say, excuse me, yes, I'd say, may I ask how you're able to not wear a mask? And three hours later, we'd still be talking, but I would say to them, in order to talk to me, I insist on you taking that off. And they would. And they'd say, but we'll get into trouble. Trust me. <laughs> Trust me. I'd say, if you're standing around here with me, you won't get into trouble. You can take that one to the bank. <laughs> and, you know, if people wanted to have a civil chat with me about why I'm not wearing a mask, three hours later, we'd still be talking. But it's these stains who'd say to you, where's your mask? Where's your mask? Why are you not wearing a mask? Oh, go fuck yourself, you wanker. Go fuck off, I'd say to them. Literally, I'd say that to them. Go fuck yourself. Who the fuck do you think you are? You know, are you a member of staff? Are you management here? I'll go and get the management. Go, go and get the management, I'd say to them. And the management would come down and say, he's permission not to wear a mask. And you could practically pull out the sad trombone and go, wah, 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 wah. You know, their faces would be heartbreaking, except for the fact that I hate them all so much. But, you know, um, this is insane. I never thought in a free society that we would be behaving this way when we go to buy our food. This is insane. This is nuts. This is sick. I'll tell you another anecdote from that particular supermarket. Uh, about three, just before the mask thing came to an end here, I was chatting to a man outside. Uh, he was elderly and he was leaning up against a railing, which was beside a zebra crossing across the car park. And this bossy woman in probably her late 60s or probably her 70s comes over to him. Excuse me, she said, if you stand there, people don't know if you're going to cross the zebra crossing or not. You should stand out of the way so it's not confusing for people. I turned to her and I said, you should drive more carefully. And she said, this has nothing to do with you. I said, you've interrupted our conversation. I said, it's to do with me. I said, moreover, I can hear your voice. That's to do with me as well. I said, you do not have the right to boss somebody around. She said, I'm only courteously asking him. No, you're not coming courteous, I said. Don't use that word. You're not being courteous. I said, you came over here and felt you could lecture this man and bully him about where he's standing. Now, go away. She said, I'm just making the point. I'm making the point, I said to her, that you're a bully. Go away. I said, who do you think you are? Now, I never use bad language to those kind of people. Um... In a pressure situation, I'm reluctant to use bad language because they use it against, oh, he was abusive and threatening to me. But I was very forthright with her and I said, go away. I said, you do not have the right to come up to a stranger in a public car park of a supermarket and boss them around. I said, now go away. So her daughter comes along. That's all right, mammy. Come I take you away from the bad man there, you know. And the old man was wanted the ground to open up and eat him up. But I'm sorry, I'm not that I'm not going to be silent in the face of this kind of polite middle class bourgeois bully who thinks she's the right to, to boss a stranger around. 
And that is the tone that is setting in. I don't believe that woman would have had the nerve to do that three years ago. But the totalitarianism that is set in here has given her that sense in her own pea brain that she can do that. And I have a civic duty to tell her to fuck herself. Now, not in those words. I didn't use that language. But to tell her in no uncertain terms what to do. You have to stand up to bullies every day, which is why I stood up to the mask thing and why I'm so upset about being required to wear a mask last week for about four to five minutes in the hospital because the receptionist refused to deal with me otherwise. So in other words, you wouldn't recognise the exemption. Or, you know, now I'm going to take it up at Beaumont Hospital because either they have a policy regarding exemptions or they should. When I was a, um, a child in the 70s and early 80s, um, I remember if, if my, my granddad, my dad wasn't on the scene at that point, but if my granddad thought maybe I was like, a little bit lippy or speaking back, which I was, that was really not something that I did. But if you ever thought it was just a little bit, you know, just, you know, wind your neck in sort of thing, he would say to me, you know, you, when you go out into the world, uh, you want to be careful what you say to people, you know, because someone will punch you in the face if you say the wrong thing. And uh, that kind of normal, not you know, pulling your punches as such, but a normal sort of actual courtesy, you know, that sort of think before you speak, mm-hmm. uh, mind your own business type thing has certainly taken a battering throughout all this, hasn't it? Oh, it um, has indeed. It has indeed. Um, I would find in a working class supermarket in Dublin, and I shop in a lot of the working class ones increasingly because it's nice to be around normal people. Um, there's a big Tesco not far from us in a staunchly working class part of Dublin. It's great. I, lo- I love going down there. And I like you'll have a laugh and chat with the other customers and with the staff. But this uptight little place that I go to, which is the nearest food store, and it's a good shop. Actually, it's a very good shop. It's a very well run shop. They've been very good to me regarding the masks. I won't have a word said against them. It's just the customers I'll have a word said against. And I'd love to see granny who came up to your man scolding him for standing in the wrong part of a public area. I'd love to see her try that down in a rough supermarket. There's any Dubliner who's listening to me will know exactly what I'm getting at here. There are certain places where if you do shit like that, you just watch what happens, you know, and it is a bourgeois conformist thing as well. It is class related. It is very much class related. It's a type of middle middle class person who spends their whole lives being scared and that woman spends her whole life being scared, so she was taking it out on somebody else because she's a fucking bully. Yeah, you're right about, in general, the comment about uh, working class. So let's, you know, we don't want to have, like, hard and fast class divides, but there are certain things we can say about people in certain... How would you generalise? Yeah, exactly. Generalize. People in certain areas, people in certain jobs. And I've certainly found throughout all of this, uh, people I'd come into contact with, the people who we would generally call working class, doing you know manual jobs, you know bin men, builders, you know working with their hands, whatever, and you know people who were, where they're seen actually they're talked down to very much by, uh, you know liberal elites and politicians, you know, and and certainly in Britain and Ireland. Oh yes, and they are. They were demonised throughout. Whatever you think about, uh, you know, Brexit, that's just not. We don't even have to take a position on that. The point is, you saw this very much in train throughout that whole process. You know, people being demonised and talk down to these were the people that if not instantly then very quickly saw through all this and just went absolutely. oh bullshit absolutely. you know absolutely and that's you know that's my words exactly that say oh it's just the government and sure they're full of shit anyway you know um if you love the government like all these ones who live around me do 
then you're going to love everything they say and everything that their mouthpiece RTE comes out with. You know, I've talked to you at length before about RTE and what a toxic and evil organisation RTE is. RTE is a very, very evil organisation. It's a very evil entity. I'm being more extreme now than in previous talks with you, but it is more extreme now. But then the question arises. I'm reading a book at the moment called Give Us Back the Bad Roads by John Waters. And he wrote that, I think it was published around 2019, and it was, Jesus, it was a crystal ball into what has happened. It was a total crystal ball. John Waters has been pilloried a lot by that particular social class. He and Gemma O'Doherty brought a court case in 2020, you know, and I remember talking to one Egypt who said, it must have cost them a fortune. I said, they represented themselves. But how much did their lawyers charge them? No, I said, they represented themselves. But that costs a fortune. No, I said, they represented themselves. And it's what Thomas Sheridan says, the, the software breaks. These are people who, enthrall, who are enthralled to the notion of the high court and enthralled to the notion of lawyers. And they're enthralled to both authority and the trappings of authority. You know, the manager, the police officer, the politician, they love them. They love them because they hate themselves. And um, I'm sorry, I have to be more extreme about this. And RTE has totally played on that particular demographic here. Because the working class people don't watch RTE. They get all their new working class people get their news from the Internet. Well, yeah. And whatever you say, I mean, the Internet is obviously full of garbage, but it's, you know, it's full, it's full of good stuff as well. It's a question of like using your uh, discernment, isn't it? And I think that's why a lot of people who are anti uh, the Internet as uh, in terms of uh, getting um, you know, a place where you can get your information. The people who are, uh, you know, saying that, oh, well, you can't trust, you know, you just go to any old website and you come back with this information and you think you know it all. Well, they were actually doing exactly the same thing. But, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, but the websites I look at can be trusted. The websites you look at are just, you know, conspiracy theorists. Mm. It's, a, it's a strange train of thought, you know, double standards. It's um, the same totality. It actually is. And nothing we've said so far in this talk deviates from the fact that it is all part of that totalitarian mindset. I suppose then the question arises of who is susceptible to this and who is most definitely not. Thomas Sheridan does a lot of good material all the time, but he's coming up with some great stuff at the moment saying, isn't it interesting that so many of the people who just have not bought into any of this were people who've encountered serious adversity in relative terms throughout their lives? So the people who've had to look into themselves and deal with, you know, rely upon their own internal resources to cope. And um, the, that adversity, well, the cliche is what doesn't break us makes us stronger. It's a cliche, but it's also 100 percent true. What doesn't break us makes us stronger. But now in the times that we're in, those people who were not broken are stronger for looking at all this and saying, oh, sure, it's just the government and they're full of crap anyway. Like I went to a very totalitarian secondary school, to a Jesuit secondary school, and I hated it. And I hated it from the moment I went in there. And I realized in retrospect that my hating it was a healthy response. That was me. That was my instinct saying to me, no, these people are fucked up. And I remember we had a form tutor who was uh, for six years here to endure that cunt. And I remember he, you know, when we would be breaking up for the summer holidays, he would give us a sheet that we had to submit back to the school in September stating what we had done over the summer holidays. That's not about helping us. That's about control. That's not about a person with a pastoral interest in us. That's simply about control. 
that's all that that's about. That's about saying, even when you're going away on your summer holidays, you're still part of us and we're not letting you go. And when an environment like that realises that you've twigged them, they run like vampires at dawn. They run like chickens out of the coop because once you've actually been totally red-pilled about that, then, you know, there's nothing they can say or do that will in any way impress you. And at the age of 17, when I left secondary school and got my leaving cert and went on to do other things, I then said, right, well, the first thing I did with the school, even at the age of 17, was I said, no contact ever again. I'm even realising at the age of 17, I said, no contact ever again. I'm not joining a past people's union. I'm not to get letters from you. You're not to contact me ever. And that form tutor kept writing to me and kept inviting me to meet him and inviting me to reunions till I had to get a lot more serious with them about that. I had to get very serious with them about that. Um, but at the age of 17, you see, I had the insight then into how they were. And then in 2020, I just said, oh, it's just like being in school again. They were bullies. They were full of shit. Stand up to them, tell them to fuck off and see what happens. And that, you know, I benefited. I look back at it now at the age of 48 gratefully because I'd been through all of that. And once you've been through all of that, you are inoculated. You know mentally exactly what to look out for. And you know it in two seconds when they start this bollocks. So, for example, that woman scolding the man who was standing in a place that she found unsatisfactory in the car park, she would have thrived in an environment like that. You know, she would have been one of the bullying teachers and one of those kind of really intense psychotic teachers that you get in these places, you know. And this is why her having the cheek to come up and say that to a man who was standing anywhere he wanted to in a public area, having the cheek to say that, it actually hit a real red button in me. And why I was so, I was very polite with her. I didn't use bad language. But I said to her, go away. I said, you don't have the right to come up to somebody like this. She said, I'm politely asking. No, I said, you're not being polite. Don't use that word. I said, you're not polite. You are not a polite person. A polite person would not do that. You know, I said, and by the way, you're interrupting our conversation. She said, I appreciate that I'm interrupting your conversation. Well, then stop, I said. You know, um, politeness is the bedfellow of totalitarianism. Oh, we have to be polite to everybody. No, we don't. You don't have to be polite to people. No. And even in our criminal code here, using bad language, telling somebody to fuck off, telling someone they're a cunt or that kind of thing, that's not a crime here. That's long established in our courts. It's not a crime to use bad language. You know, so I didn't because all you do is play into the territory a bit more. But I have the right to. And it's not a crime to do so. I didn't have to fuck off, though. I just told her to go away. I think that's, you know, two words that say the same thing, really, don't you? That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at LegalizeFreedom.com. LegalizeFreedom.com.